Heavenly Father, you are the great I am. You have told us that you are whoever we need you to be. And I know this morning, Lord, there are many here who need you in a special way. And because of that, you have sent your presence into this place. Jesus is right here with us right now this morning. You have heard our worship. You have heard our praise. And now we are going to open your word. And we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, help me not to get in the way of what you have to say this morning. I pray that our ears would be open to hear what you have to say to us. And Lord, that it would make a change in our lives. A change in which we love you more and serve you in greater ways and trust you for everything. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago, a man went up to the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel in Las Vegas. He had stockpiled guns in a room, and when he got into the room, he broke the window, and he began to randomly shoot at concert goers below. He killed 59 people and wounded hundreds of others. It's said to be the worst mass shooting in U.S. history. Over the past two weeks, I've been reading article after article, and each of the articles seemed to ask the same question. Why? What were this man's motives? His brother was interviewed, and his brother made the statement that he never saw this coming. And a person that worked for the man said that this was not the man she knew. But this guy killed 59 people and wounded hundreds of others. Why? What's going on? For the last week or week and a half, there's been a powerful Hollywood producer that's been in the news not for the great movies that he's made, but for the allegations that a number of women have raised about him improperly using his power to sexually harass them. Why? What's happening? Or let's bring it a little closer to home a married woman, a woman who's been married for a great period of time, arguably engaged in a difficult marriage, enters into a two-year affair with another married man. When the affair comes to light, the husband responds in a Christ-like manner. He confesses all of his sins wants to make things right, confesses his sins, confesses the things that he's done wrong, wants forgiveness for both of them and reconciliation. For the past number of months, the woman has been trying to decide between an adulterer and a man who is acting like Christ. How does this happen? One more. A 21-year-old student 
bright, talented, gifted, kind, part of a loving family is experiencing some struggles and decides to take his own life. Why? What is going on in these cases? And these are just a few of the cases, and these are just things that have happened in the last two weeks. What is going on in these cases and others like them? When we look at these cases and the severity of these cases, it seems like there's something more going on than just people making bad or evil decisions. There is something more going on. There is something more going on. You see, when we look at cases, situations like this, we look at what's going on and we like to first think about the physical aspects of what is happening. We look at the empirical data and we think about what is it that we can see, what can we hear, what can we touch? And we use these senses to try to explain mass shootings, to try to explain power gone amok, to try to explain adultery, to try to explain suicide. We try to use our physical senses. We're comfortable trying to explain situations using the material world around us. But there's more going on. Because in addition to the physical world, there is a spiritual world that we live in. There is a spiritual realm that can best be referred to as the supernatural. So when we look at situations like the ones I've mentioned and others that you may be thinking about in your mind, we have to recognize that there is much, much more going on, that in addition to the physical explanations for what is happening all around us, there are also spiritual or supernatural explanations for mass shootings, powerful people abusing others, for adultery, and for suicide. You see, we need to understand that there is a conflict There is a war that is going on right now as we speak, as we sit here in this place. There is a war that is taking place between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. This is no mere battle between mortal authorities. This is a battle between God and Satan, between good and evil, between light and darkness, and the conflict is going on right now. So take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter one, and let's look to see what Mark has to say about this conflict. This morning, we're going to be looking primarily at Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. If you're following along in the Bible that the church provides, that's page 812. So far in Mark's gospel, we have been introduced to Jesus. Mark has declared that Jesus is the Savior of the world and the Son of God. John the Baptist has come announcing that Jesus would flood our lives with the Holy Spirit, that God's presence could be in each one of us. That's the good news. Jesus himself was baptized, and then he's led into the wilderness, into a conflict with Satan. 
Jesus then explains to everyone that the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe and experience the good news for yourself and become part of his kingdom. Jesus then recruits some guys to help to be part of this great adventure. Now we're going to see what Jesus can do. Look at Mark chapter one, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. That's quite a story. That is quite a remarkable story. Jesus goes in the synagogue in Capernaum to teach. He amazes the people. While he's teaching, an impure spirit speaks up. Possessing a man, he speaks up. Jesus tells the spirit to be quiet and leave. That's a really good, that's a great story. But this is more than just a story. We are meant to take this quite literally. We are meant to take this event quite literally and historically. This event actually happened. And Mark, or should I say God, has intentionally placed this account in this place at the beginning of Mark's gospel. This encounter with a man possessed by an impure spirit is the second conflict recorded in Mark's gospel. Any idea what the first conflict recorded in Mark's gospel was? Anyone? Yes. The first encounter, the first conflict recorded in Mark's gospel was Jesus' temptation with Satan in the wilderness. By starting his gospel with two episodes involving the supernatural, Mark leaves no doubt about what Jesus' mission is. This is a battle. This is a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Now let's look closely at what happened that day in Capernaum. The scene, look at the scene. The scene begins tamely enough. Verse 21, they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Jesus and his disciples enter the synagogue. They enter this place of worship and teaching. It's in Capernaum. They enter on the Sabbath and Jesus begins to teach. Now, typically the teaching done in the synagogue is done by the rabbi that's assigned to the synagogue. But there are days when they have guest rabbis come and teach. And Jesus for this day is the guest rabbi who is teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now let's look at what the people's response to Jesus' teaching is. Verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching. The word amazed here means to be at a loss, to be knocked out of one's senses. It can also be to be stricken by a blow or to be dumbfounded. 
we would say kind of in our vernacular that they were blown away by Jesus's teaching. And this is a common thing that happens when Jesus shows up. When people encounter Jesus, they are often amazed. We're gonna see it throughout the book of Mark. Look at these verses from Mark. Mark chapter six, verse two. Many who hear him were amazed. Mark 7, 37, people were overwhelmed with amazement. Mark 10, the disciples were amazed at his words. Then we read why the people were amazed. Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. He taught as one who has authority. Now, authority means the power or the right to enforce obedience. If you are taking notes, write that down. Authority means the power or right to enforce obedience. Jesus has the power and the right to enforce obedience. Now, a bit of background here may be helpful. When the teachers of the law, when the teachers of the law, they can also be called scribes, they can also be called rabbis. When the teachers of the law taught, they did not teach with inherent authority. So what they did is they ended up quoting other rabbis or using other rabbis' teaching to make their position. They didn't have any inherent authority in and of themselves. When Jesus taught, he taught with personal power and intrinsic authority. He himself held the authority. Jesus' authority is much different than that of the teachers of the law. Matthew helps us understand this. I think it'll give us a better picture of what's happening. Matthew records Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, look at these verses that I've presented that I'm going to show you. Look at what's said. Matthew 5, 21, you have heard it that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do you see it? Do you see what he is doing? Well, you should, because I've highlighted it for you. I know you're a quick crowd, but look at the four words. But I tell you. Jesus is saying he's looking at accepted, traditional, historical, even biblical teachings, and he is taking them, and he is either challenging them or changing them, and he is saying you are to do this just because I said so. When I was a little kid, I remember my dad saying things. And if I would like take a cookie and he'd have like not to take a cookie, you know what my dad said, don't you? Don't take the cookie. You know what I said, right? Why? And you know what he said? Because I told you. Or go out and mow the grass. Why? Because I told you. 
That is inherent authority that my dad held over me. Jesus here has this intrinsic inherent authority that he tells us what to do just because who he is and because he has all authority. It's understandable why they are amazed because Jesus speaks with authority. He has the power and the right to enforce obedience. They're amazed at Jesus' authority, but that's not the only thing they're amazed at. They're amazed at his teaching as well. They're amazed at how he says what he says, and they're also amazed at what he says. But the interesting thing to me here is Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus is teaching. He doesn't tell us what Jesus said to them that day in that synagogue in Capernaum. But I think we can reasonably assume what Jesus is teaching that day. What did Jesus say back in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15? Mark tells us that Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus in this synagogue is preaching, teaching about the kingdom of God. It is near, it is at hand, and nothing is ever going to be the same from this day forward. Because in Jesus, in him, is the kingdom of God. Jesus' presence is the coming of the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, repent and believe the kingdom of God is near. And because he is speaking with authority, this is a command to be obeyed. It is not an invitation to be considered. Do you hear what I just said? We look at Jesus's representations. We look at when Jesus talks to us and we think it's some kind of invitation. Hey, make your decision. Come follow Jesus if you want to come follow Jesus. No, that's not the way this works. Jesus has all authority. So when he speaks, when he says, repent of your sins and believe that I am the kingdom of God coming into your presence, this is a command to be obeyed, not an invitation to be considered. Jesus is teaching with authority. And this is amazing stuff. And these people are blown away. But then look what happens. This is crazy. This is, look, at verse, look at verse 23. Just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. So as Jesus is teaching with authority, a man possessed by an impure spirit cries out. Now think about this. Up until this point, this guy is just sitting in the synagogue listening to what's going on. He's listening to what Jesus has to say. Nobody seems to notice him. There's nothing special about him. He doesn't seem to be angry. He's not frothing at the mouth. His head is not spinning around on his shoulders. He's just sitting in the place of worship with the rest of them. But when Jesus begins to speak, the impure spirit becomes really agitated and angry. Here we come to a moment we come to a moment when we are allowed a glimpse of the spiritual world that is all very real. Remember what I said, 
this story is meant to be taking, taken literally and historically. This really happened. And now we are given a glimpse into the supernatural. But many, many of us are uncomfortable with the supernatural. Many of us have difficulty believing it even exists. But here, we are touched, we are introduced to the supernatural. During the 18th century enlightenment, during the 18th century enlightenment, rationalism became the primary mode of philosophy for the Western world. Rationalism holds that we can only know truth by what we can empirically discern. We have to look at the empirical data and that data informs our truth. So without any empirical data, we are not able to know truth. So the world of the spirit world and the supernatural becomes very uncomfortable for us who are influenced by the Enlightenment. Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, he was a rationalist and he was also a deist. He was so uncomfortable with the miracles of the Bible, he was so uncomfortable with the supernatural that he edited his Bible. He physically took out scissors and cut out the accounts of miracles in his Bible. As a result, he had a very thin Bible because the Bible is full of the supernatural. It is full of things of the spiritual realm. C.S. Lewis helps us understand this. Lewis is a theologian, he's an author, he's a philosopher, he's an educator. Look what Lewis writes. Do not attempt to water Christianity down. There must be no pretense that you can have it with the supernatural left out. So far as I can see, Christianity is precisely the one religion from which the miraculous cannot be separated. You must frankly argue for supernaturalism from the very outset. The supernatural, the spiritual realm exists. And here in Mark, we are given a glimpse of the supernatural. Two kingdoms in conflict. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. Jesus is challenged by a spirit. And again, the spirit becomes agitated. The spirit becomes upset. Something about Jesus rouses tremendous fear in this spirit. Look at what he shouts out. Verse 24, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The spirit sees Jesus as an enemy and a deadly one at that. Look what he says, have you come to destroy us? Notice the plural. The spirit speaks on behalf of all the spirits. He sees Jesus as an enemy of the spirit who has come to destroy them. This spirit gets it. This spirit understands. He knows exactly who Jesus is and he recognizes Jesus' authority. Look what he says. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This Jesus who everyone else at this point in time recognizes as Jesus, the one from Nazareth, is the one set apart by God. This is what holy means. Holy means set apart. Jesus is set apart for God. Jesus is not merely one who is holy. Jesus is the holy one. And this spirit recognizes that. He recognizes Jesus' authority and he recognizes that Jesus is the holy one. And as a result, he is afraid. 
Now let's look at Jesus' response. There's no conversation from Jesus. There's only a, a sharp command. Verse 25, be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. It's just as clear from this that Jesus sees this spirit as an enemy. There is certainly no sense of compassion coming from Jesus. The demon, the spirit is an oppressor with whom Jesus has no interest in sparring. Jesus says, stop talking and get out. That's his only response. And look what happens. The demon, the spirit does just that. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Now it's evident the spirit does not want to come out of his victim, but because Jesus has authority, he has to respond in the way that he responds and he comes out of the victim because he's compelled, he's forced to leave and he leaves shrieking. Now there are a couple of things that I would like to make sure that we understand about Jesus' encounter with this impure spirit. Yes, This is a glimpse into the spiritual realm. It is a glimpse into the supernatural, the conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. But there's two things about that conflict. First, our NIV translation says that this man was possessed by an impure spirit. Other translations say unclean or evil spirit. Some other translations are even more clear and say demon. I want you to understand that this story that Mark shares with us is a story about Jesus confronting a demon. This is a story about Jesus confronting a demon. Some people think that the people back in biblical times were unsophisticated and they didn't understand stuff like this. And it was really just somebody with mental illness that they think was possessed by a demon. That's not what's happening here. Mark, other biblical writers, Jesus himself did not think that that was what was happening here. Mark and other biblical writers assume a supernatural or spiritual world view. They understand that in addition to the physical realm that we live in, there is a spiritual and supernatural realm that we live in as well. And that they believe the reality of demons. Demons are fallen angels who left heaven with Satan when he revolted against God. And these demons have power to influence us. And they use the power to influence us in order to get us to perform the will of their master, Satan. Demons are soldiers in the battle. Second, you may have noticed that I said that demons have the power to influence people. Our text says, a man possessed by an impure spirit. I think this is an unfortunate translation. Demon possession is a confusing and misleading term. Our Bible was originally, our New Testament was originally written in Greek and then translated into English. And the word, the Greek word that is used here and in other places is not the Greek word for possession. The Greek word that's used here and in other places when referring to demons is better translated to be under the influence of a demon. Possession implies ownership and demons do not own anything. In the New Testament, 
The view of demons is like a view of squatters or people have just come for temporary influence on a piece of property. When my house, if my house is broken into, it may get messed up, but that does not mean the burglars own my house. To be under the influence of a demon is a better translation of what happens here. However, that influence can vary from mild to severe, even life-threatening. So don't think about demon possession. Think about being under the influence of one or more demonic spirits. The shooter in Las Vegas, although he made a conscious choice, I believe that he was influenced by a demon. The Hollywood producer, yes, he is responsible for his choices as well, but he too was likely influenced by a demon. The married woman trying to decide between an adulterer and a husband acting like Christ, influenced by a demon. The young man considering taking his life, influenced by a demon. That's why Paul says to us in Ephesians, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, Paul, just like all the other biblical writers, recognizes that we live in a supernatural world and that that supernatural world plays into everything that is happening around us. And our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of darkness. Back to the text. Let's see how the people respond to Jesus. And this will help us understand how we can properly respond to all of this. Look at verse 27. The people were all so amazed. You think so? I bet they were. We're told then in verse 29, news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. I would think this news would spread very quickly. No Instagram, no Twitter, no Snapchat, necessary. This is the kind of news that's going to fly. But think about this. Think about what happens here. A demon speaks, an exorcism takes place. The demon obeys Jesus and leaves, shrieking out loud as he leaves. And the crowd expresses amazement over Jesus' teaching. Look what they say. After the, after the exorcism, verse 27, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. Teaching. Jesus casts out a demon with nothing more than a rebuke, with nothing more than his word, and the crowd is wowed by his teaching. The teaching is what they focus on. What is it they're focusing on? What is it that they're seeing that they haven't seen before? It's the authority. It's what we've been talking about. It's what we talked about earlier. These people are amazed by Jesus' authority. The appearance 
and the casting out of the demon just adds to the power of his authority. At first, Jesus just speaks and they recognize, they're amazed by this authority. But then he puts the authority in action and they actually see that even the evil forces of this world submit to his authority. They're amazed at this teaching with authority. Mark is calling us here to focus upon Jesus' authority, to be amazed by his authority. Jesus is able to teach what he teaches because of the unique authority that he has. It's his authority that compels obedience. It's his authority that compels obedience. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us here 2,000 years removed from this event? First, Mark is not only calling us to recognize Jesus' authority, he is calling us to submit to Jesus' authority. Did you hear me? Not only calling us to recognize that Jesus has the authority, he is calling us to submit to Jesus' authority. Authority is the power or right to enforce obedience. And Jesus has that power and that right to enforce obedience. When Jesus says jump, our response should be, how high? That is how we should respond to his authority. So what that means for you, if you are here this morning, and you are not a Christian, you are not a follower of Jesus, what that means is when Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near, I am here, repent and believe, enter into the kingdom because you believe this good news, this is a command, it is not an invitation. Jesus is compelling you to obey him. Do you understand? It's a lot easier to reject an invitation than it is to deny authority. We can consider invitations, but to deny authority is a completely different matter. So if you are here this morning, Jesus is saying to you, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe and join the kingdom of God. Believe in Jesus. He is compelling you to obey. If you are here this morning and you are already a Christian, Jesus is calling you to submit to his authority. And what that means for those of us who are followers of Jesus, for those of us who are Christians, means that we have to obey Jesus and everything that Jesus says. So when Jesus says, love your neighbors and love your enemies, that is not a suggestion. That is a command. When he says, take care of the widow, take care of the orphan, take care of the poor, take care of the refugees, he expects us to obey what he is saying to us. When he says, do not murder or do not even think about murder, do not commit adultery, do not even lust after another woman or man, when he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, when he says, do not gossip, he is not expecting us to think about this and wonder whether we should do this or not today. He is speaking with authority and he expects us to submit to his authority and obey. Now I know what some of you are thinking because none of us like to submit to anyone, do we? Like down deep inside, Tom starts talking about submission and I start to get really uncomfortable. What's he talking about all this submission stuff? And, and you start to bristle. 
You start to bristle at submission. You start to get agitated and angry. Who else in our story got agitated and angry? The evil spirit. So if you're agitated and angry as I'm talking about authority, I wonder who's whispering in your ear. But here's the good thing. Here's the good news about authority. You see, when we think about authority, we tend to think about authority limiting us, confining us, condemning us. That is not Jesus' intent. Jesus did not come to limit us, to confine us, or to condemn us. Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of sin so that we can join his kingdom and experience freedom and life. When you submit to Jesus' authority, you deny the kingdom of Satan, you deny its power in your life, you join the kingdom of God, and instead of experiencing bondage, you experience life and freedom. We should be running towards Jesus' authority. Number one. Recognize that Jesus has authority and that we are to submit to that authority. Number two, do not give Satan an open door. Do not allow yourself to be influenced by Satan. Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, verse 27, do not give Satan a foothold in your life. Do not give him an opportunity. You see, all of us are part of one kingdom or the other. You're either part of the kingdom of God or you're part of the kingdom of Satan. But in each and every case, Satan is trying to gain a foothold in your life because he wants to influence you. So that means you stay away from Ouija boards. You stay away from witchcraft. You stay away from astrology. You do not watch the Hollywood medium on the e-network. We think these are silly things. These aren't silly things. Don't be naive. Satan wants to influence you so that he can destroy you. Do not allow Satan to have a foothold. And these are not just things in matters of the occult. There are other things in our lives. Do not let sin go. Do not live in unconfessed sin because this is giving Satan a foothold in your life. The pride that you are dealing with. Stop focusing so much on yourself. It's a sin and it is giving Satan a foothold. Do not commit adultery. Do not sleep around. Do not have sex with anyone before marriage. Stop watching the porn. Stop engaging in lies and deceit. All of these things are giving Satan a foothold in your life. If you are into excessive alcohol, if you are into the weed, if you are into mind-altering drugs, I am telling you, you are opening up your mind to Satan's influence in your life. Don't do it. Don't give him the opportunity to influence you in that way. He wants to destroy you. Which leads us to our third application. What does it mean if then we are influenced or in this realm of being influenced or possibly influenced? What's the solution? The answer is encountering Jesus. Encounter Jesus. This man that was possessed, that was influenced by the spirit in the synagogue in Capernaum, he is sitting in the synagogue with hundreds of other people who are there to worship and to listen to the teaching and nobody recognizes it until he actually speaks. You see, being in church is not enough. 
Being in church is not enough unless that church is facilitating you encountering Jesus. That is why we pray often, Lord Jesus, please be present in this place. Because when Jesus is present, his presence counters the evil influence of Satan. So if you are struggling in your life, encounter Jesus in every single way possible. Have an experience with the risen Lord and Savior of this world. Encounter Jesus. The man who shot all those people in Las Vegas, I don't think he grew up dreaming about killing 59 people. But one day, he gave Satan a foothold, and he was eventually influenced by Satan. The Hollywood producer, who starts life wanting to harass and abuse people? But he gave Satan a foothold, and he was eventually influenced. The married woman, foothold and influence. The young man, foothold, and influence. There is a battle that is raging. It is a battle between good and evil. It is a battle between light and dark. It is a battle between God and Satan. It is a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And each one of us are in the battle and each one of us have to make a choice on which side we are going to be apart. You can't opt out of the decision. And here's what you may be thinking. You may be thinking, I don't like this battle. I don't like that it's going on. Why doesn't Jesus just end the battle? Maybe he's not powerful enough. Maybe he doesn't have enough authority, or maybe he's just slow. Nope. That is not it. Because he is going to end this battle. And he is going to end it with a word. With a word, this battle is going to end. But right now, he is patient. He is patient. Because when he speaks that word, everyone who is part of the kingdom of Satan will be destroyed. Everyone. So I am asking you this morning, I am begging you this morning, choose the right kingdom. Choose to be on God's side because it is the side that wins. And not only that, when you do, you get freedom and life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time that we've had together. I thank you for each one of these people. And Lord, I thank you most of all for your presence and this word that you have given to us. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is living and active. And in and through it, we can know and experience Jesus in our lives. So Lord, we pray for Jesus' presence in our lives here in this sanctuary. And as we go from this place, Lord, help us to encounter Jesus. Help us to not give Satan a foothold and to always choose freedom in life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.